We just take a moment to say that our hopes and our prayers are that the students downstairs are also impacted by the truths found in Scripture, just like we will be through Jeff's preaching. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 17. Um, We took a break from Matthew. We were working through Matthew earlier this year. We took a break and went through Judges over the summer. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do that is is I think Judges gives us a a foil against which we can look at the book of Matthew. Um, Judges gives us a picture of what life looks like without a king, without a king who loves us and rules over us and leads us and saves us. And, um, and that's really what Matthew is very much about, as Matthew writes his gospel in order to introduce us to the king who has come to do all of those things. And so uh, we, were, we were up through Matthew 16. Um, up until this point, mostly as, as Matthew's been trying to give everybody a clue as to who Jesus is, um, most everybody's been missing it, right? Um, his enemies have been getting it wrong. His disciples have been getting it wrong. The crowds have been getting it wrong until finally in Matthew 16, if you remember before this, back in June, I think it was, Peter finally gets the right answer. And he says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And uh, the only problem though is that immediately after Peter gets it right, Jesus starts to explain to Peter and to the other disciples, yes, and now we're gonna go to Jerusalem and I'm gonna suffer, and I'm gonna die. And guess what, you're gonna to have to take up your cross too, and you're gonna to have to die. And, and this road ahead looked extremely dark all of a sudden to these guys after they, they just came to realize this is the Christ, this is the one that God had promised, the king who would rule over us. Wait, this does not look right to me. And, and, uh, and as, they, as they started to wrestle with the, what, what Jesus was explaining the future was going to look like, it was getting very hard for them to see the reality of who Jesus is. And I think that is true for us as well. I think that, and that's why we come to chapter 17. This is one of the, the purposes, I believe, of, this, of, of what Jesus now does at the beginning of chapter 17, where he reveals himself in such a way. He says, this is who I really am, even though it's, it's going to be hard to see that. So listen to God's word as I read from Matthew 17, verses 1 to 8. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along there. If you don't, it's printed in your order of worship. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we we pray that as we look at these verses, as we think about them, that, that your spirit would lead our thoughts 
and your spirit would guide our heart and that you would show us yourself, that, that you would give us a, a, a clearer understanding of who you really are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you can picture it, I'm, I'm standing in my living room and the rest of my family, a lot of my family are sitting in the living room around me, but I'm standing there in the middle of the living room and it's like the, the craziest experience in the world because I am seeing things that no one else is seeing. And I'm just like, whoa. And uh, before you get any you know, real strange ideas, I was, I was wearing a, uh, a virtual reality headset at the time. <laughs> and uh, it was the first time I tried this, this, you know, these, this new kind of game. And, uh, and so I've got this headset on. And uh, it was this really cool game where you're climbing the side of this mountain. And, uh, and it's amazing, you know, you like look up and you can see the mountain above you, you, can, you know, you reach up for a ledge, you pull yourself up, you pull yourself up again, and you can even like leap to another ledge and grab on. This one point, I like raise my head above a ledge and there's like a rattlesnake right there in front of me. And I'm like, ah! And everybody's just sitting there watching me, you know, make a fool out of myself. I finally get to the top and I pull myself up and I stand up on this ledge. And then it's the most incredible thing. I, I turn around and, and I look out, and before me is the most magnificent landscape you would ever see. Like, there's this deep valley with this lake down, the shimmering lake down at the bottom, and it's surrounded by all these massive evergreen trees, and, I, and, and just beyond the lake, there are these mountains, all these different peaks beyond that with snow on them, and, and, and the, the sky is the most brilliant color of like orange and red and yellow and it's just beautiful as the sun is setting over there somewhere and as I'm looking out and enjoying this whole landscape you know I hear the cry of an eagle and, and, it, and there's I look up and an eagle soars overhead and I'm just like whoa and all this while everybody's just sitting in the living room you know with mismatched furniture and a messy coffee table and a dent in the ceiling if you know the story you know <laughs> that's what they are seeing and I am seeing this magnificent, magnificent scenery. And uh, in this passage that we're looking at today, Jesus takes Peter and James and John, three of his closest friends, his disciples, and he opens their eyes to see something that nobody else was privileged to see. But the difference between him and his disciples and me in my living room is that I was looking at um, basically computer code that was uh, fooling me into seeing you know, what, what wasn't real. And yet Jesus opens his disciples' eyes so that they actually see what is real. They see Jesus and the reality of who he is. And it, I think it's important, Jesus does this, one of the reasons, as I said before, he does this for his disciples because as they think about how he's describing the future and the suffering that he's going to have to go through and the rejection and, and the danger, um, it's, it's going to be really hard for his disciples to be like, to, to remember what is real, you know? Um, the, the road ahead looks so dark, it's going to get hard for them to actually see Jesus for who he really is. And so he shows them so that they might be able to, to, to understand what happens in the future better and, and, and trust him and, and live in the way that they're called to live. Um, I, th I think that this is why this passage is here for us as well. Because as we live our lives, most of life is just kind of plain. We're living it in a, 
in, in our, our, just the middle of our living rooms, our plain old regular living rooms. Some of them are decorated more nicely than others. Some of them have more things that need to be repaired than others. Um, but, but that's what most of, where most of life is lived, right? And just kind of the regular, plain, old stuff that we deal with every day. Most of our lives are, are lived with regular, boring, routine circumstances. They're lived with frustration and discouragement by things that we are encountering in the workplace or in our families or, um, or, or just with life in general. Um, and it gets hard to see and live with the reality of who Jesus is, okay? And so Matthew records this moment for us, and he shows us, he gives us a glimpse of Jesus. And what I, what I want to do this morning is look at three things that he gives us a glimpse of that all, all center around who Jesus is. He gives us a glimpse of, of the glory of Jesus, he gives us a glimpse of Jesus as the mediator that brings God to us. He gives us a glimpse of God's pleasure and where we find God's pleasure. So first of all, he gives us a glimpse of glory. He gives us a glimpse of glory. Jesus has just told the disciples that he's going to be killed, right? And that he's going to, his disciples are going to have to take up their crosses and follow him. So in a sense, they're going to have to die as well. And as they follow him, they're going to see Jesus in startling weakness and helplessness, right? As Jesus is eventually arrested and then tried and then hung on a cross. And it's going to be hard for them to <laughs> reconcile this with the promise of a Messiah who's going to come and reign in power and glory. Um, so what they're going to be seeing is Jesus in weakness and helplessness. And so right here, before all that hap happens, he gives them a glimpse of his glory. He gives them a glimpse of his glory, of, of how high and mighty he is, right? Um, as, when they get to the, uh, to the top of the mountain, it says he was transfigured before them in verse 2. His face shone like the sun. He is bright like the sun. I mean, how many of us can, can you look at the sun without damaging your eyes, right? His face shines like the sun. His clothes become white as light, a couple verses later, it talks about how a bright cloud comes down and overshadows them right before they hear the voice of the Father speak. And all these things, from their experience, you know, as they've, as they've heard and as they've read the Old Testament, you know, all of these things are references to, to the power and the holiness of God, you know, that, that psalm that, that Steve read earlier. That he is holy, that he is great, that he is mighty, that he reigns. That's how that psalm starts off. You know, one of the things that Psalm references is, is the cloud that God led the people in the desert. Now, all of those things point to the glory of God, the majesty of God, the fact that he is king and that he rules and he is, he is far, high above us, far above us, that he is mighty. And so he reminds his disciples of that. He shows his disciples that so that they don't forget. So that, they don't, so that they don't forget as they start to, you know, as they go back down the mountain and they start kind of living the regular, through the regular stuff of life that's far from glorious. We need to see this ourselves. We need to see this ourselves. As we stare down the reality of our own weaknesses, of our own limitations, of our own mortality, as we uh, 
we, we experience our bodies getting older and weaker. As we deal with death and loss of those that we care about and love, as we think about our own mortality and death, It's hard to, to not believe that, that death and weakness and our limitations aren't going to have the final say in everything. So much of life is, is far from glorious. So much of life is far from glorious. Um, Kim and I, are, as I've mentioned before, we're coaching our kids' soccer team, and, and we had practice on Friday night, and we were scrimmaging with, against another team, and I'm out on the field running next to a couple seven-year-olds. I'm not running very fast. I'm just kind of jogging slightly next to these seven-year-olds, and uh, trying to show them where to stand on the field when the ball's in a certain place. And, and I plant my foot at one point, and it just slips from under me, and I just totally fall on my back, just like hard. And the first thing I think of is what everybody's thinking on the sideline, you know, all of the parents that are watching, how foolish, how humiliating it was. But then I started thinking about how much pain I was in. And I've continued to think about that over the last couple of days. You know, my neck is sore and my, my shoulder is stiff and my back is hurting. And, uh, you know, so much of life, it's, it's, it's in moments like that that it's really hard to believe in the majesty and the glory of Jesus, you know. So much of life is, is so far from glorious. You know, when I get up in the morning, how many of you guys, is your first thought when you get up in the morning is, it's glory, you know. My hair is sticking up every, every which way. It takes me like at least 20 steps out of bed before I start walking straight, you know? My breath stinks awful, you know? It's, it's, there's all, all sorts of reasons. Like when you get up in the morning, glory is the, fur the furthest thing from my mind, the furthest picture from my mind. And yet Jesus is present and real and powerful and reigning even over those moments of our lives. And, and how do the disciples respond? And in the end, what do they do? They fall on their faces. They fall on their faces in their terror. They fall on their faces. I mean, that, that, is, that is where we should be going all of life. And even in the, the, the monotonous stuff, the regular stuff, God calls us to remember that he stands high above all of us in glory. And all of these, you know, moments of, of where, where there's, doesn't look like there's any glory at all, those are all opportunities to worship him, to worship him, even when I get up in the morning and I, can, and I can't even see straight. It's then that he calls me to worship him as well as every other moment in life. And it's also a reminder of the fact that, you know, my weakness and my limitations, they will not have the last say. Jesus stands above it all. He reigns in power to work in my life, to work through me, and ultimately, ultimately to make all things new, to make all things right in the end. So he gives us a glimpse of his glory. Um, the second thing he does is he gives us a glimpse of the mediator, of, of Jesus as the mediator. Verse 3 says, Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. You know, the disciples must have been like, Whoa! Where did these guys come from? Suddenly, Moses, Elijah. I was talking to Andy Cope earlier this week and about this passage. He was like, yeah, those, those are like the all-stars from the Old Testament. You know, all of a sudden, the all-star team is there on the mountain with Jesus. Moses and Elijah, these are two guys that represent all of the, you know, the best of the best in the Old Testament. 
Moses is, is, is the guy who led the people. He represented God to the people and brought them out of Egypt. And then he went up on top of Mount Sinai, and right, God spoke to him and gave him his law, and, and he brought the law of God to the people. And he went, when he came down from the mountain, his face was, was shining, right, with the glory of God. And, and he was a reminder of the people of, of God's nearness and his glory and his power. He, was, he, he brought God to the people. That's what Moses did. And Elijah, you know, he, he's like the, the most famous of all the prophets. And so when you talk about Elijah, you, you think of all the prophets. And what was their job? Their job was to bring God to the people, to speak for God to the people. Again, Elijah, one of the things he was most known for was, was his, he went on top of a mountain and had this battle, this battle with, with the prophets of Baal. You know, whose God is real? Whose God is the living God? Whose God is powerful and glorious? And it's, and it's Elijah's God, Yahweh, that answers with fire. He brings God and his power to the people. That's what Moses and Elijah did. And I, and I think this is one of the reasons that, that Jesus has Moses and Elijah show up. God has Moses and Elijah show up. And speaking with Jesus, it's, it's to confirm for the disciples to confirm for them, this is Jesus, the one who is promised, the Messiah. The thing that, that Peter said earlier, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is the, the one who, like Moses and Elijah, would bring God to people. That's what a mediator does. A mediator brings people together, right? A mediator represents one person to another person. That's, that's the role of Jesus. And I think that's the, the presence of Moses and Elijah help us see. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who brings the presence of God to you. Who brings the power of God into your life. And it's, it's so important for the disciples to see. As you think about this, as, as in the coming days, as they go forward, what are they going to see? They're going to see Jesus, as I said, weak, powerless, and, and they're going to see Jesus die. And it's not going to feel like God's coming near to them as they watch Jesus die on that cross, is it? It's not going to feel like Jesus is bringing God to the people as they watch him die on the cross. And so Jesus is, is, is trying to reinforce to them that this, guys, you've got you to understand, this, th hopefully this will help them interpret everything that's going to happen to him. That all that happens to him is for the purpose of bringing God to them and to us. That is why Jesus went to the cross, to, to die, to pay for our sin. Eliminating the thing that, that keeps us from experiencing the presence of God, our sin and then to rise from the dead, to, to bring God to us, to, to tear the curtain in the temple, right? That is the whole purpose of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. It's to bring God to us, that we would experience God, the immediacy of his presence as we live our lives. And we need this reminder too, because I know from my experience that it can be hard to believe that, that God is near to me as I live my regular daily life. It can be hard to believe that God is close, that, that God's power is accessible and close to me, that God's presence is with me. It can be hard to believe that, that God has come near because things are hard. Life is hard. Things that my family go through are hard as I'm trying to figure out how to deal with things, how to fix things. 
it can be hard to believe that God is near. But he says, you know, not just in this passage, as, as Jesus is, is backed up by Moses and Elijah, but through the rest of the Gospels, God is near because Jesus has done everything to bring him to you. He is near because Jesus has paid for my sin. And nothing's going to take that away. And I can expect that even in stuff that it doesn't look like God is present and working, I can expect and count on the fact that he is working, that he is here. Even in the dysfunction of my own life and my own family and, and, and my own work, everything, I can count on the fact that he is near because Jesus has brought him here. Thirdly, he, uh, he gives us a glimpse of God's pleasure when the bright cloud overshadows them, they hear a voice. And the voice is the voice of the Father, saying, this is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. One of the things that, that just jumps out at me is as God the Father speaks, as he looks at Jesus, what does he say? This is my son. I love him. That's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I love him. I delight in him. With him, I'm well pleased. That's the first thing on the father's mind is his pleasure in Jesus. He's pleased with him. He gets pleasure from beholding Jesus and looking at him. What sorts of things bring you pleasure? There's all sorts of things in life that bring me pleasure. I mean, the, uh, a really good chocolate Moose brings me pleasure. One of the first bite that I take of that is, oh, it's awesome. You know, um, spending time with people that I love, with people that make me laugh, that brings me pleasure. Watching a sports team that I, that I you know, follow and enjoy, watching them win and do well, that brings me pleasure. Watching my kids play sports and, and do something, you know, good on the field, that brings me pleasure. You know, there's all sorts of things that bring me pleasure. And, and, and the thing about pleasure, what is pleasure? It's, it's, it's like something that, that gives us happiness, that j- uh, gives us a moment of joy, a, a, a sense of, of, of satisfaction, of fullness. Isn't that what pleasure is? Like, like it's hard to explain, but, but if, if when, you ex- when you're experiencing pleasure, you, you'd be happy if that moment continued forever, wouldn't you? That's how God feels when he looks at Jesus full, satisfied, happy, joyful, content, at rest, at peace. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And so if if we want to understand the height of God's happiness and joy and his satisfaction, then where do we need to look? We need to look at Jesus. That's where we need to look. If Jesus makes God the Father this happy, what does this mean for us? If we want fullness and joy, then we we need only look at Jesus as well. If Jesus brings God the Father delight, then what is that promise for us if we will look at Jesus and know him? But also, I think from a different angle, if we want to experience 
the pleasure of God upon our lives, if we want to experience God's joy, delight in us, where do we need to be as close to Jesus as possible? <laughs> because it's Jesus and Jesus alone that, that really earns the delight of God. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, um, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, he didn't know sin, he didn't experience sin, he didn't sin at all. He became sin for us. When he died on the cross, he, he took our sin upon himself so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in that verse, what that verse is saying is, is that Jesus, who, who didn't deserve God's judgment, he knew no sin, and yet he took upon himself our sin and God's judgment upon our sin. And in doing that, he took God's judgment, and at the same time, he offers to give us his righteousness. We can experience righteousness, which is what? It's, it's God's satisfaction. It's God's acceptance. It's God's delight. That's what Jesus has done. If, if we receive the work of Jesus, we not only get to be forgiven for our sin, but we actually can count on the fact that God looks at us and he, as, he is as pleased with us as he is pleased with Jesus. You know, one of the guys at this little, you know, this little group, uh, Peter, James, and John, John got this as he, he wrote in his gospel. In John 17, he, he writes and, and records Jesus' prayer in John 17. And one of the things he says in Jesus' prayer is that Jesus prays that, that those who believe in him would know that, that, that God loves them just as God loves Jesus. And, and those words that John records of Jesus is pointing to the fact that, that if you are in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you've received what Jesus has done, then you can be certain that God feels about you just as he feels about Jesus. He, he delights in you just as much as he delights in Jesus. And so think about this. So I was talking about pleasure, and as I was talking about God delighting in Jesus, this is, God get, doesn't get any, any greater pleasure than looking at his son. Guess what? God gets that same pleasure when he looks at you. If you've received the work of Jesus, if you've trusted in him, he gets that same pleasure by looking at you, because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. This reality is hard for me to see. It's hard for me to believe. Because as I go through my life, it's so much easier to focus on the reasons, all the reasons that God has not to delight in me. All of the, the ways that I fail. The ways that I, I don't live up to what I, I, you know, the standard that I think I should, let alone the standard I think he should, thinks I should. It's hard for me to believe that he delights in me and that nothing will shake that delight. It's hard for me to believe. I, I listen to, um, I've been listening to a, a podcast sometimes by Conan O'Brien, if you know who he is. He often interviews other comedians and entertainers and things like that. These people who are wildly successful in the entertainment world and, and people who stand in stadiums where people applaud them. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people applaud them and laugh at their jokes and all sorts of things. And one recurring theme comes up as I've listened to that over and over again. They often talk about, you know, Conan might bring it up or the other person might bring it up, that they all live with this thing called imposter syndrome. That they will all at some point be found out, that they're not really as talented 
as everybody seems to think. They're not really as funny as everybody seems to think. And then they will end up just being, you know, seen as failures and forgotten. And I think that that's true of all of us. We all struggle. We live with this imposter syndrome where, you know, people are going to find out that I'm really not as lovable as I fooled them into thinking. It's hard to believe the reality that if I have trusted in Jesus, that God couldn't be more pleased when he looks at me. He couldn't. And, and that's never going to falter, no matter how much I mess up, no matter how much I fail to reach the heights that I think I should reach. He gives us a glimpse of God's pleasure. Um, I, I'll just end by pointing out, you know, this thing that Peter does, which is so awesome. Peter's, Peter's awesome, isn't he? He's the, the, Jesus gives him this, this incredible, you know, not, it's not a vision, it's a reality. He's transfigured. This is real. It's not like he puts on some costume. This is really happening. He gives Peter and, and James and John a glimpse of reality, of how glorious he is. And, and, and then Moses and Elijah are there. And uh, Peter's first reaction is, is, is what? Before they fall down and worship, his first reaction is, this is good. This is good. It's good that we're here. Let's, let's build some tents for you guys. I mean, I'm, I, I want to serve you guys. I want to build a tent for each of you so we can kind of camp out here and hang out for a while. I think that's kind of what he's, what he's saying. He's like, let's, this, is, this is incredible. This is awesome. Let's stay here. Let's stay here for a while. Let's have a little conference, you know, a little retreat from the rest of the world where we can just enjoy your glory, where we can enjoy, we can get to know Moses and Elijah better. We can, you know, share secrets and wisdom. It's going to be awesome. Let's hang here for a while. And, you know, thankfully, probably, Peter's just ignored you know, Jesus doesn't say anything, you know, humiliating to him at this point. He's just, they just kind of, everything just kind of moves on, moves past him. But it's interesting, after they do fall on their faces, after they hear the Father speaking, and, and they fall on their faces, and they're terrified, verse 8 says, they lifted up their eyes, and they saw no one but Jesus only. And I think, this is my theory, and I, I see it in some different commentaries. I think one of the reasons that this, that this happens, that you know, Peter suggests this, and then they're left with just Jesus, you know, is that we aren't meant to live life with a constant, clear picture of God's glory. Um, we're meant to live life in the regular, boring um, kind of life, the regular, boring you know, aspects of our living rooms. That's where we're meant to live, it's in these places where we only have Jesus, just the regular Jesus, where we uh, have to learn to trust him. And we have to learn to have faith and believe in him. And we have to learn to try to, you know, just hold on to his hand. Or, or even better, count on him holding on to us. That's, I love that about the simple Jesus, the regular Jesus. What does he do here after they fall on their faces and they're terrified? Verse 7 says, Jesus came and he touched them. And he said, rise, have no fear. That's where we need to learn to live life. In the regular, like, non-glorious stuff, 
but knowing that Jesus, the simple Jesus, the regular Jesus, is there with his hand on us, saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't forget my glory, my power. Don't forget that, that I am present. The Spirit of God is present. Don't forget that God delights in you. But just don't be afraid, I'm here. That's where we're meant to live life, trusting him. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would open each of our eyes, um, that we would see these things that are real, that, that as we walk through life, no one else is seeing. And help us to respond to them. Um, help us to remember just the the grace of Jesus as he comes near and puts his arm, his hand on us, his arm around us, and, and he says, don't be afraid. Help us to live life in the monotonous reality of, of, of regular day frustrations, but, but to, to live life remembering the reality of your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to meet Jesus. This is one of the reasons that he tells us to celebrate the Lord's table over and over again is because it's hard to see. It's hard to see the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so this is one reminder for us. If you received the elements on the way in, um, or if you didn't receive the elements on the way in and you need them, just raise your hand and Mark will get them to you. Right here, Mark. Keep your hand up and Mark will get them to you. And as he's passing those out, if you want to find the confession of sin in your order of worship, we're going to pray. We're going to pray and confess our need for God's forgiveness our need for his grace, our need for the sacrifice of Jesus for each and every one of us. We'll pray this out loud together and then we'll have a silent time of confession. Please pray with me. Righteous Father, we who own more than we use, proclaim more than we experience, and request more than we need, come asking for forgiveness. We seek your salvation, then act like we save ourselves. We beg your forgiveness and repeat our errors. We experience your grace, then act defeated. We rely on your power, but only in hard times. We have become confused and misguided. Forgive our every sin. Bring us to an unbroken commitment and a steady trust through Jesus Christ, who is the way of hope, the truth of God, and the life of love now and always. Amen. Father, we now take a moment in the silence to privately confess our individual sin to you.